Hey friends, this is Jeremy. And Ashley Shook. This week we talked about the transformative power of forgiving people. And um, the journey afterwards, what it looks like to steward your heart after you've forgiven people and how to practically um, walk your heart through pain and offense and everything else. We pray that you're blessed and empowered by the Holy Spirit through this to walk in more mercy. Yes, bless you. Hi! We are so happy to be here! Um, yeah, we love family, and we love being here with our big upper room family today. Um, we're also pretty jokey and silly, and so uh, just just go with it, okay? okay? Don't you guys love how like the Holy Spirit can drop like weighty truth with a smile on his face, and like it's like this power of repentance, but also you're like, oh wow, that feels good. It's like the sword of the Spirit cuts so great. So welcome to Repentance Sunday. No. It's gonna be fun. Aren't you guys thankful that it is his kindness and not his anger that leads us to repentance? Aren't you guys thankful that it's his gentleness that makes us great? And so the reason I'm saying it's Repentance Sunday is because today is gonna be a kindness encounter. Hey. Okay? In fact, I, I, I fully believe that repentance really begins when we realize we had a thought about God that isn't as good as reality. And that's the thing that begins to transform us and inspire us to lead a completely different life in Him and manifest Him in a much more full manner. So what are we, what are we gonna talk about, babe? Um, there's this discipline that is key to the Christian life. In fact, it's, it's beyond even a discipline. It's a lot more close to just being part of our identity. And when we manifest this discipline, I believe it is actually the number one way that we show the Holy Spirit and the nature of Jesus in this world. Uh, so today we're talking about what it looks like to walk in the redemptive, reformative, reconciliatory power of forgiving people. Yes! So today, we're gonna let people off the hook, okay? And right now, I want you to hold your hands like this because I'm gonna give you a present in the spirit. It's, it's a giant pair of scissors, okay? In the spirit, and we're gonna cut ourselves some slack with it, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay? So just receive that, and we're gonna have fun today. Um, Ashley and I, we've realized over the years that if you're living rightly, it means that people are close enough to you to hurt you. And if you're in any relationship for any amount of time, you're going to be given the opportunity to engage in conflict, whether that be with your sibling, your parent, your spouse, your spouse, your, <laughs> your children, um, or uh, church people. Mm -hmm. Um, or even with the Lord himself. A lot of us are, we're walking around and we're, we're upset, but we don't know how to tell the Lord that we're upset with him. Mm -hmm. Or we're walking around and we're upset with ourselves, but we don't know how to go through that process of forgiving ourselves. And, and the thing is, the Lord is perfect. So why would I need to forgive the Lord? Well, the thing is, forgiveness... It's, it's not about them, it's about you. Yeah, I don't think that there's anything more powerful 
than having an honest conversation with God, even if it's messy. And there's nothing more powerful than having an honest conversation with a friend, even if it's messy. I think that we've missed dramatic encounters with God by praying to him prayers that we think he wants to hear instead of coming to him in complete honesty and saying, I hurt right now. I don't know what to do with this hurt, but I need you to know I'm hurting. And I know that you already know it, but I know that you wanna hear it from my mouth, but I'm, I'm being transparent and vulnerable before you, Lord, and before people. And we talk all you. the time about being in a relationship with him, and we forget that relationships go through seasons. They just do. It's, it's part of growing. The, the only way to grow in intimacy is go through all the seasons, right? Yeah. yeah. So forgiveness is, it's key to who we are. It's part of our identity. It's not just um, a discipline. We have actually been appointed as God's forgivers. We're ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation, which means that we are letting people off the hook in order to show them the merciful heart of God. Forgiveness is really hard, but then it becomes addicting, and then this weird thing happens where you actually get excited when people start to manifest on you. You're like, oh, I have the honor of showing you mercy. I get to be the one who shows you the heart of God in this moment, and really, when people are manifesting, uh, we, we tend to get excited. Like we when love a mess. messes. We do. We're like, aha. They've lost the power to hide. Finally, right? everyone gets honest and real and we stop dancing around what the problem is. And it's, when someone makes a mess, you can actually know what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably the greatest opportunity to set someone free and to go deep in relationship with someone once you have the chance to walk through something hard together. Well, because here's the thing. <laughs> History is created through conflict. Trust is created through conflict. You don't know that I'm safe till I have the opportunity to let you down. Yeah. And on the other side of it, we're still safe. Yeah. I don't know that I can trust you until I've been able to walk through you letting me down. Mm. That's so good, babe. Oh, thanks. And you're so pretty. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one time uh, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, like when I was upset at someone, he whispered to me, it's better that injustices fall on you than on the unbelievers. Because you have the power to forgive it out of existence. We don't pay back, we don't pay forward, we pardon. And it erases it from the history books of heaven. So Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, John, they all had these radical things to say about mercy. And I love how James and Peter both say the exact same verse as if they heard it from Jesus himself. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's as if they heard it from God himself because they quote it the exact same way in their books. And I think that Paul, more than anyone, you can see his, his heartbreak. You can see, he actually, he says sometimes, I'm writing with tears in my eyes. And the reason he's often doing that, he's, he's speaking to every church about issues that he's, he's heard about with division, with unforgiveness, with 
broken relationships. He, he has to address it with almost every single church. And I feel like Paul, the reason he has these tears in his eyes is he's saying, don't you guys remember how Jesus reconciled the world to God? How God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses. How, how can we then stand in judgment and, and not be able to overlook the small ways that people have hurt us in order to guard the bond of peace in the church? Um, I have, uh, I had an experience that was a two year long, uh, torment in my life. So I grew up in the church and I was like the quintessential church boy. I just loved Jesus from an early age. I mean, how can you not? Right. And I love the Bible. I, I was like the, the poster boy for the youth group, you know, laying hands and stuff and keeping track of how many souls I saved, and, you know, doing the things, you know. I was dreaming about someday being martyred for Christ when I was like 15 years old. Um, <laughs> that was not my story. <laughs> so consequently, uh, the pastor trusted me. I, I was like given keys to the church. I was part of the worship team. So through my teen years, um, you know, I, I just loved, I almost lived in the church. We experienced revival. It was amazing. And then this thing happened around the time I was like 18 years old, where all of my decision-making protocols were completely overridden by hormones, rebellion, and bravado. 18 years old, and um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm starting to like rebel. I'm starting to like lose my first love. I'm starting to forget all the ways God had encountered me, and I'm starting to get really curious about what the world has to offer. And, and so, guys, this is gonna be awkward. Just buckle your seatbelts for this story, okay? I decided, after I was given some alcohol, I didn't know where I could drink it without some of our parents finding out so I decided to throw a drinking party in the church. <laughs> yes, I know. How, how horrible. And uh, we would have gotten away with it too had my friend not puked in the nursery. Um, <laughs> the next day was Sunday morning and we didn't do a good job cleaning. Um, and I was on the worship team and, um, I know, isn't that just ugh, like, whew. someone should have spanked me more like <laughs> growing up. Anyway, um, my good friend, Dan was working the nursery that day. And, um, and so he had to sit and endure the situation in the nursery and, he found out about the party. And first of all, he was upset that he wasn't invited. And secondly, he was upset because he had to sit in the nursery um, after the, the, the horrible situation in there. And so my good friend, Dan, who I grew up with, goes straight to the head pastor and rats me out. Right? And so... <clears throat> I realize that the pastor knows, but I know that he doesn't know that I know, and so I'm gonna go to him in the guise of him not knowing that I already know in hopes that he would see me as humble as I'm confessing to him something that he already knows. See how twisted <laughs> sin gets? So um, I go to him and, and I tell him, hey, uh, 
His name's Pastor Ed, what a hero, Lansing Vineyard. And I just say to him, hey, you know that situation in the nursery and the smell and all that, that, that was me. Um, and he sits back in his chair and, and he says, Jeremy, I want you to know um, that that actually really upset me. That made me very angry. Um, and you're at a stage in your life when you can make decisions that will greatly, dramatically impact the rest of your life, either for good or for bad, but I want you to know straight from my heart that I forgive you and I'm not gonna tell anyone what you did and I'm not gonna take any way, away any of your duties in the church. He extended a complete pardon and it was a pivotal moment in my life. And then he said, all I want you to do now is go and restore your friendship with Dan. And so I went to Dan and I said to him, I can't believe you ratted me out. Our friendship is over and you'll never hear from me again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wish I could go back and talk to young me. Anyway, um, what that did is within several months, I was barreling down this rabbit hole of rebellion and began experimenting with all sorts of things. In fact, I no longer believe that any of my encounters with God growing up were real, but just fabricated by emotions. And I began to just walk away. I, I like verbally disowned Jesus. And for two years, the reason I say it was two years of torment is because for two years, I completely lost my way. I prodigal sunned it so hard. And I actually believe that what happened is I walked out a real life example of what happens if you don't follow what God says in Matthew 18 about the, you know, the parable of the servant that is forgiven a huge debt. And then he goes out and finds another servant who owns, owes him a small debt and he's not able to forgive that servant. And so the master finds out and says, dude, I forgave you of like a million dollar debt. And then you go out and hold accountable one of your friends who owes you like a thousand bucks. It's time for you to go and be tormented. And so he's handed over to the tormentors until he learns a lesson. And I believe that what I did in that moment is I stepped out of the flow of God's mercy by holding someone in a place of unforgiveness, invited bitterness into my heart, which led nearly to a reprobate mind where for two years, I just was destroying my body in, in sin and, and rebellion. And when the Holy Spirit finally encountered me a couple years later and brought me back and I realized everything about him was real and all those encounters I had with him as a kid were real and all of his goodness was washing over me again and in tears I'm repenting and coming back to Jesus, one of the first things I did is I went and restored my relationship with Dan and I, you know, with tears in my eyes, I said, I'm so, so sorry for the way I treated you. And we reconciled our friendship and we're friends to this day. That was 20 years ago. Can you guys turn to 1 John 2, 9? You can do it analog or digital. Uh, it says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness 
and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Forgiveness is a choice we make, just like offense is a choice we make. And when we walk in that way, the darkness begins to blind your eyes. Uh, have you guys ever heard the term hurt people hurt people? There's a blindness that comes upon us, darkness that comes over our eyes, and we're not able to see what it is that we're doing. Yeah. You know, sometimes we, we, we either don't forgive or don't know how to forgive, or, and sometimes it feels like if we're forgiving someone, then we are giving up our power over them. The, the, the meekness is weakness, you know? And it's not, it's like the most powerful thing that you can do because you're saying that within me, I have such a wealth of treasures of heaven and grace and love and mercy that what you did to me isn't even a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean of God's grace that flows from me. And, you know, this very week, I got mad at people, people got mad at me. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> it happens to all of us, right? And so, you know, what do we do? What do you do when you realize that a friend or an acquaintance has something against you? A friend or an acquaintance is mad at you. What do you do in that situation? Or what do you do if you realize that you're angry with someone? If, if you're anything like me, you're not super aware of all the emotions, and sometimes it takes like a couple days to be like, huh, I'm mad. And so what do you do when you realize that I believe that scripture and Jesus essentially tell us that whoever realizes there is a break in the relationship first is responsible to begin the process of reconciliation. So Matthew 5 says that you go to the one you hurt, and Matthew 18 says that you go to the one who hurt you. In other words, if you realize there's a break in relationship, start the process of trying to fix it. In fact, Matthew 5 is this, uh, Jesus says something that I find offensive sometimes, and um, he says that if you are offering your gift at the altar and there realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, which means that Jesus is actually saying reconciliation restoring relationships that are broken are more important in this moment than worship. It'd be like this morning we were singing, um, and Eola had that amazing song, all of your glory and all of your beauty and all of your splendor. And the Holy Spirit breaks in as we're like singing all of your splendor, and he's like, Remember your brother, how he is upset with you. Go and go fix it. <laughs> Reconciliation takes a backseat to praise when there's a break in sacred relationship. This is why Jesus says, go find out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The reason this is so important is because in the next chapter, in Matthew 6, 15, Jesus says that if, if someone is not forgiving someone else, then they are actually stepping out of the mercies of God. It says it very bluntly. If you don't forgive people, you're not going to experience forgiveness. So 
If you realize that your brother has something against you, then what you're realizing is that they have stepped into a place where they've limited the flow of God's grace and mercy in their life, and you need to go and rescue them from that place, even if it means that you go and die before them like Jesus would. I don't think that we can really forgive until we understand how we've been forgiven, how we can freely give and freely forgive because we have freely received. We have been freely forgiven. This is Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving others <laughs> as God in Christ forgave you. So it says, forgive other people just as God forgave you in Jesus. So um, I, I kind of want to demonstrate this, and I can't use Ashley as, uh, can, can you come up here, Kevin, just for a second? Come on, Kevin Tips. Come on, Kevin. <laughs> okay. So Kevin and I go way back, and we have an awesome, like, heart-to-heart -heart brother connection. I admire him. We've had a, lo a lot of amazing moments together. He's such a trustworthy friend, loyal dude, but let's say he hurt me real bad. Okay, and he's like, you cut me real deep. And, real um, bad. And I go to Kevin because I value our relationship and I somehow want it to be restored. And I go to Kevin and I say, hey, Kevin, I need you to know that what you did really, really hurt me, um, but I'm willing to call it even and just like level out those scales of justice if you uh, give me $1,000. <laughs> and is that forgiveness? Is that how we forgive people? What's that called? There's a word for it. Restitution. Restitution. Okay, let's say, let's say I go to Kevin. This is another way, like I'm, I'm gonna try to forgive him. And I say, Kevin, uh, man, I don't know if you know this, but like this thing you did just really, really hurt me and, and I wanna fix it. And I think that I'll be able to just call it good. We'll be able to go on with our friendship if you just let me punch you in the face one time. <laughs> Just one good whack. Just need to vent some rage in order to let you back into my heart, you know? Um, is that forgiveness? And that's why I'm not there. Yeah. There's a word for that. It's called retribution. I'm gonna exact a physical punishment in order for us to have a restored relationship. So do, do we wanna walk in, in those manners of no. reconciliation? So how about this? This is, this is a different take on it. And I say, hey, Kevin, uh, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but what you did, it really hurt my feelings, but I value your friendship and your heart way more than any of that. And I want you to know that I'm not gonna hold any of that in my heart. I'm gonna let you completely off the hook. I'll never bring it up again because you're such a treasure to me. And I just want our friendship to be back to where it is supposed to be. Is that forgiveness? That's better. So the way that Jesus forgave is it was um, a complete pardon with an invitation into connection. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin tips, everyone. You wanna go? Um, 
I, I don't think a lot of times we talk about what it means uh, to receive confrontation. We don't actually coach people on what to happen, uh, what, what to do when someone actually comes to you with something that they're upset with you about. And, and I first want to tell everybody, I mean, if you've ever been that person that has to go to someone, it takes a lot of courage and bravery and vulnerability to do so. And so a lot of times if someone comes to you with something that they're upset with, let's first receive them knowing that this take, took a lot of bravery and vulnerability on their behalf. Mm -hmm. But then also there may be things that they say that you're like, I didn't, no, that's not, that's not true. The purpose of a confrontation is not to agree, it's to listen. Yeah. And when we're listening, you want to own whatever the percentage is that they're saying or hear how they heard what you said or you did, even if that was not your intention. And validate the moment or the feeling that they're having. I can see how you may have gotten there. Let me clarify that for you. But those are just some quick tools to help us when someone comes to us when they've been offended. Yeah, and really when you're the person being confronted, uh, what Ashley said is so key, realize that they're stepping out and doing something courageous and, and speaking to that. Literally saying, hey, I know that what you're saying right now has gotta be so hard and I wanna thank you for valuing our friendship enough to do it. And, um, and then what Ashley's saying about like, extreme ownership, like trying to own everything you can that is true about what they're saying. I wanna give you like a good phrase that can just automatically come out of your mouth when someone is confronting you. And so repeat after me, I think what you're saying has validity. Or I think that's fair. It's a, it's a response that encourages the conversation to keep going, encourages that person to keep on being honest and open so that you can restore uh, friendship. And it takes humility, right? None of us like it when we get called out, but it is um, a wise man receives rebuke and gets wiser. Like it's a wonderful moment to, uh, to grow. When someone loves you enough to tell you something hard, how blessed are we? to have that in our lives. Um, I used to think that I could forgive people because God's gonna get them in the end. <laughs> Anybody else? You think, oh, I'll let, I'll let you off the hook. But I know, I know you're gonna get your up and comings, you know? <laughs> uh, that's actually not forgiveness either. Um, real forgiveness is Jesus describes it like this. Uh, let's say you have someone who is acting like your enemy. You have an enemy. He says, uh, love your enemy. And on top of it, pray for them to be blessed. Which means that when we forgive people, we're saying, um, I don't hold this sin against you. Lord, give them an amazing life. Lord, I, I don't just pray, I hope it. I hope that they don't like completely blot out this transgression. Is that not biblical? Like blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose sins the Lord doesn't hold against him. He forgives and he forgets, which means that as you are representing him as the forgiver, it means that he is forgetting. Right? Which means when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, 
When his murderers, the very murderers of Jesus stood before the throne on their history books was not murdering Jesus. You wouldn't find it because Jesus said, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. Erase it, blot it out from the books. Which means that when Stephen's murderers, you know, Stephen the first martyr, when Stephen's murderers stood before the Lord, they may have had a list of sins a mile long, but murdering Stephen wasn't on that list because Stephen wouldn't let his murder be something that would be held against someone in a place of judgment. Forgiveness is contrary to our carnal desire to keep score but love keeps no record of wrongs. Guys, complete this most famous, one of the most famous sentences that Jesus ever uttered. Complete this sentence for me. Father, forgive them, they... They don't know what they're doing, Dad. Which means that Jesus understood something about the nature of sin, that it is deception. Jesus realized that we were deceived in the garden. Jesus realized that his disciples, when they were walking around, they didn't know what spirit they were even of. Y'all remember that story from Luke 9? Jesus' A-team starts manifesting elitism, pride, territorialism, racism, and then, oh yeah, they want to murder an entire town with the power of God. It would be the perfect time for Jesus to like rebuke their character, right? Like, come on, Jesus, set them straight. And Jesus simply says to them, you guys don't know what spirit you're of because the son of man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So Jesus in that moment, once again, is saying, you don't know how deceived you are. He's looking at us as confused and bamboozled children who've lost track of who we are and who he is. Which means that when people are hurting us, they're actually acting contrary to our godly design. When someone is hurting us, we can rightly say, Jesus, they don't really know what they're doing. That's key to growing in compassion is realizing that when people are hurting other people, they're actually deceived and not just born jerks. <laughs> they're not the sum of their mistakes. They are fearfully and, and wonderfully made. When we can look at people as if they've been tricked by fear, or, or shame or, or anything, then we can really begin to move in compassion. I think that when you look at Jesus on the cross, there's this prophetic picture going on where there's Mary, 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 and John. Jesus is looking down and seeing three Marys and a John. Mary, the name Mary means bitterness. So he's, he's born to a woman named bitterness. He's born into the bitterness of humanity. He's dying surrounded by the bitterness of humanity. And then there's John, which means God is gracious. He's offered bitterness to drink on the cross, which is like a drug to numb the pain. And Jesus refuses it. He carries the bitterness of humanity down into the grave and leaves it there. So taking up our cross means that we are going to be surrounded by the temptation to become bitter, but we choose instead to say, God is gracious 
and let them off the hook. Bitterness is, is just like aged unforgiveness. You don't want to drink that vintage. It's a stinky cheese. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's not good. Um, but, I, you know, here's the thing. Offense, unforgiveness is like a drug. We wouldn't use it if it actually didn't feel good at numbing the pain. Yeah. And offense and unforgiveness, like a drug, is a synthetic version of something that's real. Offense is a synthetic version of righteousness. Woo! Woo! That wasn't even in the notes. It helps us feel in control. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about my story, which is very, very close to home. I grew up with a parent in addiction, with a father um, who's an alcoholic. He didn't know or think he was an alcoholic, but he was an alcoholic. So by the time I'm 18, if you guys can imagine, there is brokenness, there is pain, and everything that goes along with you know, those early years of experiencing that from a parent. And uh, my mom got radically saved, and so eventually I, I said yes to Jesus, um, but that didn't fix uh, a few things in my heart. That was my first step, that was my faith step into loving that man. And my parents, they, started get, they got into a small group, as well we all should. And uh, at, in their mid-40s, my parents were like the youngins in this small group. And uh, it was led by a couple named Gary and Deborah. And Gary, in his 60s, was a papa. And when I would go with my parents to the small group, he, he began to just, he had a heart for me. And so he started to take me out for breakfast on Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m., which if you're 18 is very early. <laughs> and he and I would sit in this booth in this little breakfast place and he would talk to me about Jesus, this Jesus that I just asked into my heart. And after a, a, a few weeks of, of Gary and I having breakfast, it becomes very obvious. How, how many of you know that um, our stuff we think is really well hidden, but it's very obvious to everybody else? Mm -hmm. And so uh, Gary's, Gary's, you know, as a wise man does, he said, I, I, I think that maybe uh, your dad's stuff, have you ever thought about, have you ever forgiven your father? And my response was, well, he's never asked for my forgiveness. And he's like, okay, well. <laughs> and I begin to go through all the, all of the years of all the experience, you know, poor experiences that I had. And he was like, okay, okay, well. I want you to do something for me. I was like, okay. And he said, I want you to write a letter. And I want you to pour into that letter everything you've ever wanted to say to your dad. And I'm like, okay. And I spend the next week eloquently pouring myself into this piece of paper. Okay, papers, let's be real, it was pages. And the next week I show up to Tuesday morning, sit down at our booth with Gary and I take my letter and I just, push it across the table. And Gary looks at it and he goes, good job, kiddo. Now I want you to burn it. Oh. What? And he looked at me and he said, you need to be able to forgive your dad without him ever knowing how badly he's hurt you. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that was that Gary, 
forgiving my dad was like a first step into the kingdom. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was, it was a really big thing for me at 18, but he was giving me a tool that I would need for the rest of my life again and again and again. And it wasn't until about 15 years later, because here's the deal. I forgave my dad in that moment. It's like, yes, Lord, I forgive him. I carried that letter around in my Bible for years. And it wasn't until a couple years ago where a wise woman by the name of Kimberly Stokes said, why do you think you carried that letter around in your Bible all those years? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and it took me after, you know, 15 years later on, on a journey of, of figuring out why Oh, and it was because I forgave my dad, but I wasn't ready to let go of my right to the things that had happened to me. The right that I had to someday maybe let him know how badly he'd hurt me. My right to my offense. Because here's something that we, we talk a lot about forgiveness in the church, and what we've said so far is really, really important, but... We don't often equip people for what happens after forgiveness and what it looks like to, to say the words, but then, you, then suddenly you're like, but I still feel all these feelings. I still have all these memories. And the truth is we, we haven't equipped people for walking that out well. So let's talk about it. Yeah, Jesus. So what Ashley's saying is so key. Uh, when we're forgiving people, it doesn't mean that the pain goes away. Like we, we still might be carrying that pain. And I guess what I wanna encourage you to do is, is just look to Jesus on the cross because he was in the most pain a human could ever be in when he released the greatest forgiveness anyone ever released. And his pain didn't end, but the forgiveness was real. And when our kids get into, you know, fights, which pastor's kids fight, they do. And um, we have this thing we say in our house, we're like, forgiveness is non-negotiable. Trust is a choice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I heard this story recently about Chinese bamboo. And here's the thing about Chinese bamboo. You plant a seed and then you water it every day for five years. And you see nothing break the surface. And then when it finally breaks the surface, it grows 80 feet in six months. Wow. I forgave my dad 20 years ago. It was like a seed that, that went down into the ground and it died. Because that's, if you, any, how, how many of you know that when a seed goes in the ground, it has to die before something can actually grow? Yeah. I died to my rights of him having to know my pain in order to release him. Yeah. And, and, you, chose, and you chose mercy. Yeah. Day after day, year after year. In fact, I, I heard Ashley in conversations with her father where she is literally saying, nothing you do can change the way that I love you. But your behavior can impact the closeness of our relationship. And it's really a love that doesn't change based on our behavior that has the power to change our behavior. So for 20 years, I've taken on the, um, the responsibility of stewarding my heart. 
And this year, 20 years later, at 62 years old, my dad went to rehab and just completed 30 days of rehab. And here's, here's a reason that that's important. I never thought I'd see it. And there are people in this room that you've been praying for so long. And he's faithful. He's always faithful. But I want to talk about what it looks like to steward our hearts even when somebody doesn't change, or even when, like the Lord said, keep forgiving them. 70 times seven, you gotta keep forgiving them. What it looks like to walk through that process. Because here's the truth. I can forgive them and release them with ever getting my pound of flesh. Without ever getting my pound of flesh. Oh, my kids have this thing they like to say where they're like, that's not fair. And I always respond, thank God, life's not fair. Can you imagine if life were fair? (laughs) Trust me, babe, this is something that really benefits you. (laughs) The gospel's not fair. Mm -hmm. It's offensive. Thank God. Scandalous. So here's here's some quick handles to give you guys for stewarding offense and pain and walking out forgiveness. Oh, these are all things from my journal. (laughs) Oh, first and foremost, we go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Psalm 62, eight says, trust him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. It's important that we mourn well. And we walk that out with the Lord. We were talking, they were singing tonight from from Psalm 120, or today, from Psalm 126. Um, Those who sow, sow with tears will reap with shouts of joy. You can't reap the joy until you sow the tears. You can't. You can't have that without getting to that honest place with the Lord and talking about and processing the things that are going on in our hearts. Now I want to talk about the power of our tongues. Um, I lo- Danny Silk has this great, I love this uh, visual. Yeah, metaphor. Thank you. Metaphor he gives us when he talks about the paint bucket. Anyone ever heard of the paint bucket? So the paint bucket is your pain or your mess, and you drop it, and then you look around to see who has paint on them, and then you, you clean it up. Well, a lot of times, some of us like to take that paint and go around and smear it on a whole bunch of other people who don't have paint on them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> here, and, and here's the thing about addiction, offense and everything being, being addictive. Addicts flock to other addicts. Yeah. They find each other. If you're upset about something, trust me, you're going to find the person that's upset about it too. If you're offended at the church, you're going to hang out accidentally with people who are offended at church. Proverbs 29:11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 17:9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats the matter separates close friends. And Ephesians 4:29, let's go here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths 
but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Your pain needs time to find its words. When it says that it may give grace to those who hear, when things happen to us, sometimes they need, they need time before our words can be graceful about it. Now, we do, it, we do need people to process with, but there are certain criteria for who that should be. Number one, what'd you do with my stuff? Oh, they cannot share your offense. Yes. Number two, they cannot take offense on your behalf. Secondary offense is no joke. Number three, they should preferably have a history of victory over offense. Mm -hmm. Or number four, they should be a licensed counselor bound by law not to say anything. <laughs> yep. You know, those, we all have those friends, like when we share with them some way that someone else has hurt, them, hurt us and they're like, let's go slash their tires. And you're like, those aren't the friends you wanna share. <laughs> your story with. You want to go to the grace, gracious, heavenly perspective kind of people. So you may then be saying, okay, but I still feel pain. And so I want to talk for a minute about something really important when walking out pain, and it's called narrative. What is a narrative? A narrative is the story that our mind tells to our heart. Ooh. You don't want your pain in the driver's seat when you're going through this stuff. Yeah. A way that you might realize that you are hurt by someone or offended is uh, you keep on replaying conversations with them over and over in your mind. And in this version, you're always winning. You're like really digging the knife in and twisting it, like saying the perfect thing to put them in there. If you have those thoughts going, or like you're replaying or, or just imaginary conversations that you've never had with this person and you're winning, it probably means that you have some bitterness and unforgiveness towards them. There's also places that we carry our pain physically. Some, for some of us in our heads, neck. I get it here in my check, chest. Mm -hmm. Some people get it in their tummy, mm -hmm. but that's a good way to know. Um, yeah, even the, the, like the medical profession, they're, they're realizing that unforgiveness and bitterness actually has negative health effects on the body. Because you can't separate your spirit, soul, and body. If something's going on in your soul, it's gonna affect your body. Um, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse you and he will accuse them for you. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really important to meditate on hope. This gets the final word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever's true. Mm -hmm. Whatever's honorable. Yeah, Philippians. Whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any, everyone say any. Any. Excellence. If there is anything, say anything. anything. Worthy of praise. Think about these things. Yeah. You get to choose the narrative. You get to choose the lens with which you perceive it. It doesn't change the actions or what was done to you. It changes how you walk in it. Mm -hmm. 
Your narrative is a choice. Just like being offended is a choice. Love is a choice. If it weren't, there would be no war. Yeah. Yeah, Galatians 6.1 says that if a brother's caught or overtaken by any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or humility, lest you also be tempted. And I love, this verse is chock full of revelation. But the first thing I wanna mention is that the person's been overtaken. Again, he's been bamboozled. He's been caught entwined in some, in some sort of sin. And a true mark of spirituality isn't being able to see that someone is in sin. In fact, it usually doesn't even take discernment 99% of the time, just like a working eyeball and a critical spirit to tell what's wrong with someone. <laughs> but when you see that someone is caught or overtaken by sin, it's not, that doesn't prove that we're spiritual. What proves that we're spiritual is that we're able to restore them gently. My dad didn't change when I forgave him, but I changed. I changed from seeing what was happening around me or who I'd experienced him to be to being the kind of person that can look at dry bones and tell them to rise. Yeah. I began to see my dad, I began to see him and call out who he was, who he was always meant to be, who God the Father saw him as. See, that's what happens when we start owning the narrative. We make the choice, this powerful, powerful choice to own this narrative. We are telling people that I choose to see you the way God sees you. I choose to see this circumstance the way that God sees it. I choose to walk in the victory that was paid for on the cross. Yeah. Can we have the, we worship, the worship team? team? We're so one. Unity. <laughs> you know, after, after Jesus uh, died and was resurrected, he hung out with the disciples and upwards of 500 people. Um, one of the times, one of the, the coolest times, it's recorded in the book of, of John in chapter 20, the disciples were together and Jesus just does that thing where he appears among them and says, peace be with you. And and then he says, as the Father has sent me, so now am I sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Whatever sins you forgive will be forgiven. This is an insanely important moment and powerful in so many ways. You know, there's only two recorded times in scripture where God breathed on man when he stooped down and breathed the breath of life into Adam and Adam came to life. And the next recorded time is this very moment where Jesus is saying, I'm gonna send you out just like the Father sent me. And he's like inaugurating the new creation by breathing the breath of life on the disciples and giving them their new commission, which is to go and forgive. Go and be my forgivers. You're now ambassadors. You are ministers of, of reconciliation. And if you can see this, he's saying, as the Father sent me. So if, if, if I'm the Father and this is, this is the Son before the incarnation, before Jesus came as a baby, the Father looks at the Son and goes, go forgive them. 
And so Jesus in in this moment is showing them exactly what that looks like. And he's giving them the new charge, the new command, the new commission, which is to go and forgive people, be ambassadors of mercy. And so today we actually wanna do that. We wanna let people off the hook. So we've got a slide. This is gonna be a group repentance, group forgiveness. Can you put that slide up? Right now, I want you to let the Holy Spirit just search your heart. You might not even need that. You might know right away who you need to forgive, but we're going to forgive people by name. And there may be one person that pops up, but usually there are other people even around that. Forgive, forgive as many people as are connected to that event, that disappointment, that person, that circumstance, as you can think of. Let's release all of them, people that, that have hurt us, but then also people that have, been, that have influenced, influenced the people that have hurt us. Can you guys stand with us? It's important that we actually say this, like that it comes out in our breath. Breath is, is spirit. There, there are powerful things when we submit our bodies to the will of the Lord. And so we're actually gonna say this together and then we're just gonna take some time and marinate after this first line. And like we said earlier, you may need to forgive the Lord. It's not because the Lord isn't perfect and that the Lord isn't good, but there may be unmet expectations. There may be something that's happened that you need to talk to him about. You may need to forgive yourself and let yourself off the hook. So as you're thinking of people, I just encourage you to keep those in mind. So let's read this top line together. You ready? Father, I choose to forgive pardon and bless and now just say their names it could be your mom your dad it could be a pastor you might be saying this again for the hundredth time but you're getting more freedom in this moment holy spirit search our hearts who are the people that we've been holding in a place of unforgiveness We remember, Jesus, how you said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden. Lord, we don't wanna carry the heavy burdens of unforgiveness, so would you show us who we can bless today, who we can let off the hook. Okay, let's read this next part of the prayer. Father, forgive me for holding on to offense. I break all agreements with bitterness and unforgiveness. And Father, based on your forgiveness, I choose to forgive myself. Right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you do a work in our hearts where all bitterness and unforgiveness, that poison would be broken off of us, Lord, that our hearts would breathe the free, clean air of the Holy Spirit again in this moment. Break all unforgiveness off our entire family, off our descendants. Don't let this poison into our families, Lord. We let them go. We let them off the hook. If you need to name them again, name them again. We let them off the hook. The moms, the dads that didn't know what they were doing. 
the friends, Lord, we say they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what spirit they were of. Father, we let them off the hook just like you let us off the hook. We extend mercy like you extended mercy right now. Church leaders, we let them off the hook in Jesus' name.